0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be looking at
1: books the saints read. That's right. We're joined by our friend Brandon Vaught to look at the books that the saints read that inspired their spiritual life and will inspire yours as well. If we look to the
2: saints for example and intercession, I think it's really important to figure out what they actually read that inspired them to be such heroic witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs)
0: To be back in the studio with you guys. Always. Brandon, thanks for joining us again. It's always a pleasure to have you on our show. Um, Brandon Vaught is Claritas U. And I can't think of a, a more well-read group of guys here <laughs> than my friend Brandon Vaught and Ryan Shields. I'm gonna tip my, my
1: hat to Brandon. Uh Brandon is definitely more well-read than me when I have a question about a book. He's the guy I go to, right? Yeah. He's the content director for Word on Fire. He's the founder of Claritas U. He's a author. He's had tons of books published, great books, and we're gonna talk about those later. But with this appearance, Brandon is now our most frequent guest. He is like the official friend of the show. He's been <laughs> on here more than anyone, and it's it's I think it's purposeful because whenever we want to get a little bit of. Um, an air of authority, or someone who actually knows what they're talking about, we lean on Brandon. So Brandon, thank you so much again
3: for showing up here. Yeah, it's always good to be with you guys. That's a, a title I will claim very proudly now, Most Frequented Guest. I love that.
1: <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have a plaque made and sent to you. <laughs> so yeah, today we're looking at, we're looking in the library, we're looking on the bookshelves of the saints, right? Um, spiritual reading is one of the most important thing a Catholic can do. You know, Making sure that you're not just consuming things that are base or of the world, you're not just reading this news or the sports, but you're doing spiritual reading. It's one of the most important parts of formation. Both of you guys are in the seminary, and I know they gave you. Probably all the books that you ever read in your life during those couple of years, right?
2: Yeah, from Ave Maria University to St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary in Southeast Florida, we definitely dug into the greats. Yeah. And, you know, sourcing wisdom from the church and the tradition and and getting that sense of of scripture through the perspective of some of the greatest minds throughout history is very, very important. The greats, the giants, Augustine and, and Aquinas, you know, the Summa Theological. I mean, what are some of the books that you remember Delacross in the seminary?
0: Well, um, just before that, just the perspective of what did the saints read? Like to me, that's something I never really considered. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I never really cons- I always consider saints writing books and me consuming them, but I never really thought about how saints consumed. Yeah, their the other were. side of
1: that transaction. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I think, and I th- I'm really excited about this. Now, speaking of saints consuming books, I know I haven't passed away yet, but uh, <laughs> no, um, no, like uh, some of my favorite books are. Um, Uh, There is a a biography of Padre Pio that I read on a a silent retreat that profoundly impacted my life. Uh, But, you know, as far as like spiritual reading goes, the diaries of um, Sister Faustina uh, are are just beautiful in terms of just Mm -hmm. picking up a book and reading it and being blessed like Mm -hmm. internally in your soul. Like other than scripture, that's, you know, a very profound book that's had a lot of meaning in my life. Um, you know, I would also say, uh, the Summa is, is another book that I went to a lot in the seminary just to learn about the clarity of teaching, uh, in the church and, and St. Thomas Aquinas always provides that. Um, not very. At
2: at St. John Vianney, did you guys get into any Ambrose at all or the essential writings or Mm -mm. that was really insightful
1: too, but I got that at Ave, um, Augustine Mm -hmm. confession, Mm -hmm. I think you know uh, that's a good place to start since we are in the diocese of St Augustine and yeah. that's you know he is a literary master what a beautiful writer what did St Augustine read because his mind really was and I think we said this on the show before Brandon that he's kind of the bridge between the classical world yeah. and then the christian world that's right. as far as I guess, you know, intellectualism, he's that bridge between the two. So I think he's a great place to start. So, And,
0: and I want to ask uh, the question, uh, would would Ambrose be on on one of those? Because did, would, wouldn't he, uh, instrumental in his conversion?
3: Uh, yeah, well, Ambrose, well, that's, that's, a quite, that's a question so for what did, what, did, what did he read? Stop looking at me, man. <laughs> I don't know the answers to this. Yeah, so as you said, Ryan, St. Augustine is this giant in the, Catholic tradition for sure, but also the Western tradition. He's the bridge between the classical and the Christian world. Um, We know what books influenced Augustine because he talks about them extensively in his spiritual memoir, The Confessions. So anybody who's read The Confessions knows that it's this profound and moving journey of conversion, not only spiritually, but literarily as well. Um, One book that he specifically mentions is uh, The Life of St. Anthony. The Life of St. Anthony, which was recorded by St. Athanasius. So it's funny that you have uh, a saint, Augustine, who was influenced by a book about a saint, St. Anthony, written by another saint, St. Athanasius. So it's kind of this meta saint book uh, here. But uh, Augustine describes in the Confessions that uh, in the year 386, he was visiting a friend named uh, Placianus, and placianus told augustine about two men who had suddenly been converted to god by reading saint athanasius's life of saint anthony so augustine uh, wondering whether to follow their lead he suddenly heard a a child chanting take up and read take up and read tola lege take up and read and he recalled how In that book, the the biography of St. Anthony, St. Anthony himself was converted by reading a single passage of of Scripture. He actually heard a single passage of Scripture read at Mass. And so Augustine wanted to imitate Anthony. He did the same thing. He rushed and found a Bible, and he came across uh, a, a verse, I think it was in Romans chapter 13, um, where it says, you know, we should conduct ourselves properly, not in drunkenness, not in promiscuity, not in licentiousness, and that were word, those words were were the instantaneous conversion of Augustine. From at that moment, he goes on a completely different path. Um, he later wrote, um, "I'm quoting him here." No further, would I have read, nor did I need, for instantly, as the sentence ended, by a light, as it were, of security it infused into my heart and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. So Augustine got all of that by this one little verse in Romans, but he got the idea to read that one little verse in Romans by imitating St. Anthony, who himself was converted by a single scripture passage.
1: That's crazy. Just how that that ripple effect, you know, throwing that one pond, that one stone into the pond, you know, Anthony reads a scripture verse, Athanasius records it. And Athanasius modeled himself off of Anthony and then Augustine reads Athanasius and now here we are reading that. and just the kind of the through, spiritual yeah, the... growth and and the uh, the multiplication yeah. of that it's very much like the yeast that mm-hmm. Jesus mentions. Just a little yeast leavens the whole loaf and and we're seeing that mm-hmm. here. and and the inspiration of Augustine that led to all of the development of his
2: writings I mean he's one of the most prolific writers you know in in the history of the church, and I I think we, we only have like a handful in comparison to what he did, a handful of his of his treatments and, and his uh his his writings. But you know, to lead to the city of God, <laughs> confessions, De Trinitate, you know, his treatment of scripture. I mean, amazing that this like you said, like I like that, that ripple effect yeah. that then leaves to this uh this grand deposit.
1: One of my favorite books I ever read was a biography of Saint Athanasius. Mm-hmm. Uh um, it's, I can't remember who it's by, but it was by a very ancient source it's a great book, but Athanasius himself, an amazing writer, mm-hmm. the things that he wrote. So I think there's a lot of intellectualism here, but also a lot of, of heart there, you know, but, um, this book, this life of St. Anthony, St. Anthony is way more influential in the history of the church than I think he's even getting mm-hmm. credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the father of monasticism, um, at the time, the intellectual center of the world was Egypt, you know, Alexandria, Alexandria right? Mm-hmm. This was the kind of the, you know, this was the the Yale and the Harvard. This was the Ivy League of the ancient world, right? And that St. Anthony so influenced that through his simplicity, his monasticism, his, uh, you know, asceticism. We, you know, we're talking about Augustine and Athanasius, but the book itself that he read Looking at that life of how he lived in the desert and was focused on the gospel, you know, that book itself is something that we should all read, you know, on our own. Mysticism, you know, when,
2: when you think about it, I mean, isn't that what we're all attracted to? Like when you when you have somebody that, that is living a mystic life, you want to glean insight and, and hear from them and their and their expressions of knowledge wisdom understanding counsel you you would go out to the desert to, mm-hmm. you know to go and and experience firsthand mm-hmm. that wisdom and i i do love that that is what fascinated the heart of augustine who has who is really one of you know a few uh, doctors of the church that, that exp- like the greatest intellects
1: yeah but you don't think of him as a desert father you don't mm-hmm. think of him as a as a hermetic mm-hmm. but that's where his his inspiration come from so i mean he's this great evangelist he was very cosmopolitan he's in hippo he's in rome he knows people all over the world but the heart of his conversion comes out of the desert mm-hmm. that's
3: really fascinating yeah? So, yeah i think it was it was the it's the radicality of anthony that most attracted augustine you know this idea that in one moment, one encounter with the Lord, your life can go in a completely different direction. That happened with Anthony when he just decided to go out into the desert and become an ascetical hermit. And that happens here with Augustine too. You know, his the the path of his life so dramatically shifted in this one mystical moment. And I think that's what he gets from St. Anthony.
2: I love your use of of radical. It's it's one of my favorite uh favorite words, but from the Latin root. Radix, like root, like at the very root source mm-hmm. of this movement, and that, how fitting. Radical, yeah, bro. Radica- you, radical. Radical, rad man.
1: Well, you're like it in the, concept, uh, the context of actually shredding on your skateboard, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is good. It's fine. I mean, it's not Augustine, but it's cool. Um, let's move on to I think when you we th- were speaking of intellectualism. Yeah. When you think of intellectual the intellectualism in the church, who do you think of besides me and Brandon? <laughs>
3: right? You think of Aquinas. Is there anyone else? I primarily uh, in present
1: company think of Brandon. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> I have stolen valor a lot of, of intellectualism, humility show out I know. With a lot of humility.
2: Well, of course, you know, the Doctor of Grace. The angelic you know, doctor. To the angelic doctor. Yeah. Right? So you, you come from Augustine, who's held up to be the doctor of grace, mm-hmm. and and the two great minds to Aquinas, without a doubt. That's, yeah. that's the first thing that comes to mind.
1: So Aquinas being so well read, I mean, we know that he read, you know, Muslim scholars. We know that he read Aristotle, the, the Aristotle yeah. and the Greeks. We know that he read all the spiritual masters. But what did he read? What's, what was a book that was seminal in his formation?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. Thomas was obviously one of the best-read people of his time, um, well familiar with the classics, the patristics, contemporary theologians. Um, What was interesting when I was putting together this book on the saints' favorite books, uh, I did a lot of research looking through the journals and writings of essays of all these saints because many of them would explicitly mention, this is the book that changed my life, or this is my favorite book. We don't have that with Thomas. Thomas nowhere says, This is the one book that set me on a new path. But what we can glean from his writings and his references are which books that he returned to again and again and again. And so there's a a few obvious contenders. So Thomas, like a lot of the scholastic theologians, wrote a huge commentary on Peter Lombard's sentences. So that was a very famous book uh, in Thomas's time. So he read that, uh, enjoyed it, spent a lot of time thinking about it obviously read a lot of Aristotle. So Thomas was one of the great synthesizers of Aristotle and Christianity. So um, most of his metaphysics is rooted in in Aristotelian metaphysics. However, I would would propose that, number one, Thomas Aquinas' favorite author was St. Augustine. Number two, Thomas Aquinas' favorite book was The City of God by Augustine. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes Augustine and Aquinas are pitted against each other. Augustine is depicted as, you know, the more mystical, heart-centered, patristic father, whereas Aquinas is kind of the the egghead intellectual philosopher. Augustine's the theologian, Thomas Aquinas the philosopher— Aquinas is deeply Augustinian to his in his bones. You see it all over his writing. Anyone who knows both Augustine and Aquinas well sees the similarities. But I think that what what affirms this this hypothesis that that's Aquinas's favorite author and book is his Summa theologia, his his biggest masterwork, has a massive number of citations, tens of thousands of of people that are referenced in his in his footnotes. But the most referenced person is St. Augustine. So he quotes St. Augustine over 3,000 times. And he mentions no book in the Summa Theologia more than Augustine's City of God. So he quotes from City of God over 300 times. So I think that's, that's a tell, a mark, that certainly Aquinas reverenced that book. He read it often. He knew it backward and forward enough to quote it over 300 times. So I'd wager that if you sent Thomas Aquinas to a desert island and he had to bring one book with him uh, other than maybe the Bible, much of which he had memorized, uh, it would probably be Augustine's City of God. That's fascinating. And again, it shows that ripple effect continuing to go.
1: We go from the gospel to Anthony to Athanasius to Augustine to Aquinas. And and that's the, the value of reading a book, right? That's the value of had, being well-read and having a great library is that it creates this ripple effect. It creates this this download between minds scattered across time and space to where you can really expand what you know, experience things that you will never get the chance to experience, have thoughts that you would have never thought on your own, be able to contemplate things that have never been contemplated in your own heart. But seeing how this this rippling of the saints' reading comes down through time is a really fascinating thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting point you brought up, too, about the
0: misconceptions or the the sort of the, the idea that Plato or, you know, that um, uh, Augustine and Aquinas are sort of at odds and, you know, there's obviously proof there, but it's it's the same thing with Plato and Aristotle. You get the same sort of ideas, concepts and reality. I think those two are very close to each other too as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like the mind and the heart you know, in a soul, right? Like, you know, it's like, you know, and not it's like necessarily tol- a difference of way of looking at things. Tolkien and, you know, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis yeah. you yeah. know, like all
2: throughout time, you have these different, yeah. you know, interactions and, and it's, it's true, but isn't that what motivates us to greatness, you know? And, and it is that ripple effect that's, it's set into motion at its very root level. And now we have the Summa Theologia, like from, from St. Thomas Aquinas, we have a summary of Catholic doctrine and and gives us, I mean, you remember, you mentioned the Summa as being something that was influential. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about the Summa off the top of your head that, that really stood out for you that you liked about it?
0: I like the way it was written, where I could go for answers and, and look, it, it wasn't like reading a, a you know, a book mm-hmm. as such. It, it was more of like topical reading, topical man. things, understanding why we think this way as a church, mm-hmm. the insights into, you know, the way people would, you know, look at this and, and, and argue sort of argue these points. Right, yeah. Then, so for me, it was just, it was more of like sitting down with someone and saying, why do we believe this? What is the, the. What are the reasons why? And so ecclesiology was really big for me with the Summa. Mm -hmm. You
1: know, one of the things... Shout out Bishop
0: Lassard. (laughs) Yeah.
1: One of the things I think is interesting is that the way that human knowledge grows exponentially by standing on the shoulders of what was learned by the generation before. Mm -hmm. If every generation had to reset their knowledge and didn't have the opportunity to draw on the things that were learned before, we would never progress. You know, we would still be primitive. Don't mm-hmm. we see that today in and, our But culture? that's what you see with the animals. Yeah. You know, animals have at birth only their instincts. They are not able to really build on the technological or experiences of their predecessors, whereas humans can. Humans can look back and learn a lesson from you know, the, a war in 500 B.C. to spiritual writings in the Middle Ages to a technical manual written in the 1950s books and concepts and words passing them down creates a snowball effect and an accumulation of knowledge that always advances humanity and in this case and particularly spirituality that's the development of spirituality in the West and that's why this is such a fascinating episode now I want to make a note real quick Brandon is going to make he has an ebook on this called, The Saints' Favorite Books, and it lists a lot of saints. We're not going to get to most of them. We'll get to a good handful on this episode, but he has an ebook available with all these saints, what they read, links to the books, some quotes. It's a really beautiful presentation, so we're going to make that available to you later on. Um, But then speaking about how saints and this ripple effect, how saints are inspired by saints, In my mind, when I try to think of a saint who converted radically (laughs) because of reading saints, Mm -hmm. it's St. Ignatius. And really, he didn't really have a choice in the matter, right? He he done got his (laughs) leg blown up, right? He took a cannonball to the knee.
2: He had a lot of time on his hands. He had
1: a lot of time on his hands and he was kind of um, beleaguered by the people who cared for him with books. They're like, look, man, you're down and out. This is probably the only chance we're going to get to tie you down and get you to read. So let's surround him by books. So... That's kind of how the, the inception of St. Ignatius's conversion. So, Brandon, I know the backstory roughly that I think it was his brother-in-law who gave him a bunch of books to read while he was recuperating. What were some of those books that were up by his hospital bed
3: or his, you know, infirmary bed? Yeah, so Ignatius grew up kind of as a boy's boy. You know, he loved the outdoors. He loved fighting. He loved adventure stories like El Cid and the Knights of Camelot. Uh, he enrolled in the military when he was only 17, went off to battle. In 1521, a cannonball blew through one of his legs. Didn't quite knock it all the way off, but seriously wounded him. And then it it broke the other leg, too. And so he had to be put up in a hospital for several months because he couldn't walk. And when he was in the hospital, um, he experienced this profound conversion because he was kind of bored, didn't have anything to do. It's not like you know, modern hospitals, they got, you know, big flat screen TV, they got Wi-Fi, you got people coming to visit you. He was just laying there for first several weeks and then eventually several months. He asked the hospital staff if they had anything to read. And he specifically started ticking off some of the books that he didn't enjoy, you know, adventure books, romance books, chivalry books. And again, I guess the library was very sparse because they said, well, we only have two books. We have A Life of Christ, and I'll get back to that particular book in a second, and then we have several stories of the saints. And we have these accounts of Ignatius' reaction. He was very crestfallen. He's like, that's it. You know, that's all you got. Like, imagine, you know, a, a modern 20 or 30 something year old kid who's in the hospital and they say, All, all we have is a Bible and a book of saints. You know, you'd be kind of crushed, but he said, I don't have anything else to do. And so I'm going to read those books. So he read those books. And again, just like Augustine, just like Anthony, it was this instantaneous conversion. Um, the Life of Christ that he read, it's, it's an interesting one. It's by a man named Ludolf of Saxony. And it was called his Vita, his life, Life of Christ, uh, Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint Francis de Sales also read and enjoyed and recommended this book. It's not—it's hard to find today. You could find a, a few cheap uh, versions on Kindle. Um, I'm not even sure if it's still in print today. Uh, and it's—it's it's, uh, even the English translations we have are, are somewhat stilted and hard to get into. So I, I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend the book itself, but. I think the example it presents is this striking combination of life of Christ, life of saints, that when you are reading those two things together, your life is now primed for a deeper conversion, just like it happened for St. Ignatius.
1: Yeah, I think my reversion is very much similar to that. There was two books that I read a ton, and then a third one kind of. It was The Life of Christ by Pope Benedict, and then... The the Saints by Albin Butler, Mm. those two books. And then there was another one. It was on the early church fathers. Mm. So it was a life of Christ and a book of the saints, you know, and kind of bouncing back and forth. I mean, it's it's very similar. I think that's a very good formula for conversion or reversion, looking at Christ as the model and the saints as the fruit of that model. It really ties together the aspiration and how you can live it out because like a book of the saints there's so many different charisms expressed that you can say, "I can relate to this." Now, I might not relate to so and so saint, but this saint, I could see myself in, and I could live like that. And mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a good one two punch for conversion. I think I think that's uh, in particular what
2: stands out for me is is that example, and I think I could live that way, mm-hmm. you know, or I and and the desire actually that's that's moving in the heart is like. I want to live that way. I I, I desire it. I, I, I really pursue it. And for me, for my reversion, when I got hit, it was through the scriptures uh, after a couple of knee surgeries and it was like the Bible then led to uh, the, the lives of the saints because I went over to my grandmother's house and I grabbed every type of Catholic movie that she, she had in her, her collection and I started watching Saint Francis of Assisi and all these different all these different movies. And uh, and it, it's important because that is what really uh, moved me so deeply to to express to God like I want to give you everything and and I want to see how deep this goes and the journey never ends you know like who who has read everything of of Augustine and Aquinas and like all these other greats Brandon you know? Brandon did
3: <laughs> <laughs> no not even close <laughs> I I grew it's, a it's lot it's funny you know how many of the these saints when I was doing this research, figuring out what are their favorite books, how time and time again, their favorite book, the most impactful book in their life was the biography of another saint. So we already saw that with St. Anthony and how his story shaped St. Augustine, but um, you have Ignatius of Loyola being shaped by the lives of the saints. St. Saint Teresa Benedicta of the cross, so Edith Stein, um, famously was a, a, a non-Christian, she was a, she was raised Jewish, and was staying at a friend's house one night, browsing her shelves after her friends had gone to bed, saw this autobiography of Teresa of Avila, picked it up, read it, stayed up all night. She didn't get any sleep. She read it cover to cover and was instantaneously converted, and not only converted but became a nun and became a martyr and is now a saint. Uh, and then uh, Servant of God, Dorothy Day, another of my favorites. Um, one, of, one of her favorite books was Teresa of Story of a Soul, so The Little Way, uh, so it's 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 interesting, Ryan. You've used the the phrase ripple effect, and and I would even maybe expand that metaphor to to a snowball. It's like this big snowball rolling through history that starts with little Saint Anthony in his desert. You know, maybe starts with Christ and the gospel writers, but you get Anthony all by himself in the desert that kind of spins into Augustine. And then that's collecting more saints along the way, including Ignatius, and then all the way to the 20th century with Edith Stein and Dorothy Day, and now all the way up to us. And we have this massive ball of vibrancy and life and tradition through the lives of the saints that now all of us get to take advantage of. It, in some ways, we're living in a, in a golden period where you know we weren't contemporaries of Anthony, where we wouldn't have had many stories of saints. But today we have this plethora, this explosion of thousands of these stories of conversion that we can, uh, absorb ourselves. It's also like the access to, to books, uh, and a lot of these,
0: um, lives that we're talking about, like just accessing books were, were very difficult. And so this snowball effect now that there's, you know, printing
1: presses and things that we can go back. And And then you
2: could have an ebook, like like even
1: even people of our generation, just about we're about the last people who had to go to a library for a book <clears throat> that had to. Yeah. Like or you can go to a bookstore but you go to a library. Now, look, anything you want is available. The access to reading has never been greater. The, you know, the uh, the ancients and, you know, Saint Ven- the Bede the venerable, he would have been astounded at our access to books
3: and our unwillingness to read these books when we have such access to them, right? Mm. Um, reminds me, of, you know, there's that famous story of Thomas Aquinas. They, they were coming over this great hill. I think it was in Rome. And uh, one of his fellow students looked out over the Vista and said, man, what, what wouldn't I give to have all of that, like to own all of that land and all those houses? And Tom, Thomas just sort of nonchalantly says... Yeah, but I'd rather have Chrysostom's commentary on Matthew, which like at that time was untranslated. So for him, (laughs) he deeply valued these works that he didn't have access to. There was tons of writings of the church fathers that someone like Aquinas, like they've been lost to history. They didn't have them or they didn't have them translated yet. And so for us, again, we're living in this age where pretty much every, every work of antiquity that, that has survived is now translated and available. And so there's no excuse not to read them.
1: So now in preparing for this episode, Father Rich had brought up a book that I'd never heard of, and, and Brandon brought it up too. So it, it must there must be some commonality. And this was the favorite book of, it seems like a handful of saints, but in particular pope P- saint pius the mm-hmm. tenth what was that book
2: it, you know what's crazy is i had a, a version of this book that was given to me by a roommate of mine in college and his dog got a hold of it and it was like all torn like the cover was all torn up and everything and i loved it i kept it by my bedside because pius the tenth uh did the soul of the apostolate oh great book
3: yeah never heard of it so what? what is that book brandon yeah, The Soul of the Apostolate was a book written for anybody participating in apostolic ministry. So if you're involved in a ministry at your parish, or you know, you're know you helping out in your diocese, or you're doing something like Catholic Talk Show or Word on Fire, this book helps to keep the focus on your interior life, the soul of the apostolate. What what uh, Dom Jean-Baptiste Chattard, he's the author of it, what he was worried about was encroaching activism, that it's easy in the Christian life to get involved in a lot of things and to become sort of a busybody. I think we all see this, you know, in in many of our parishes, we'll say, we've got, you know, 200 ministries, we've got so much going on, everybody's volunteering for this or that. It's not bad in itself, but what Dom Chittard says is, if you don't also have the interior life, and if that activity is not flowing from a strong, Interior life, it's gonna fizzle out. It's you're inevitably gonna run on empty fumes and then give up, or or worse, you're gonna lose the Christian soul of what inspired the activism in the first place. So, this is a book for for any Catholic who's involved in any ministry or apostolate. I'd highly encourage it. Pope St. Pius X uh, he said this: I'm quoting him: I can offer you no better guide than the soul of the apostolate. I warmly recommend this book to you as I value it very highly. I have made it my bedside book. So if it's good enough to be sitting on a Pope's bedstand, I think it's good enough for any of us. You know, that that brings up something. I was having a conversation with uh, John Heinen from The Catholic Gentleman.
1: We were having a conversation on spiritual reading a few weeks back, and he told me that his spiritual director said, for any Catholic, it should be sufficient to have on your nightstand the Bible and the biography of one saint. You do not need any more than that. And if you attempt to do more than that, oftentimes you're putting yourself in a position where you're not going to get anything done. Oh, wow. So look, pick one saint a year, keep his biography on his or hers biography on your nightstand along with the Bible. And that should be enough spiritual reading for anybody. Now, obviously there's people who can consume more books and who have the the mind for that. But for the average person... That's a good recommendation. You know, Pius, hey, he keeps this on his nightstand. And I think that the nightstand very much is the place of primacy for the book, right? You can have a library, you can have it on your table or on your desk. But the book that's on your nightstand is the one that's probably going to be the one that's closest to you. It's the one that you're in your it's in your relaxation. It's your binky. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's What's what it's your binky book? What books you guys got in your <laughs> nightstand?
2: Well, I've, I've got to shout out my my boy, St. John Paul II, Gift and Mystery. Um, that has been so influential on in my journey. It's something that I continually return to. And for those of you who are not avid readers, it's it's a short book. And um, it's beautiful. And in and, and respect to all of this, even with the soul of the apostolate, isn't it like a glimpse— into the interior life like Brandon was just expressing like to have to have access to somebody's interior life and that s- stimulating a desire to develop an interior life with Christ yourself is, is everything and and at the very soul of the apostolate you know the days that I that I serve as a priest for example and and the priesthood is being exercised 12 14 hours 16 hours actively throughout the day and I have time to rest in the evening, it, it's really that, that time where I just expressed how grateful I am that Christ has called me to this vocation and to love him in the, in the silence and in the solitude. Um, and, and the soul of the apostle really captures that beautifully. Um, and and you, you could see it in the lives of the saints. It's, it's what I saw in John Paul II and his examples of that interior groaning in the spirit when he would pray um, you know, an adoration to, to conclude a day. Um, it's what, it's what I long for. I want to follow that example.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I think is important to, to say here, especially for listeners, and and it, it, it helped me out a lot is that I think reading the lives of the saints, you, you do get inspired, um, uh, Categorically, and then, but, but also, like, you also get perspective of how God works in other people's lives, yes. mm-hmm. right? Like, that's a good point. I had a Eucharistic conversion. I thought everything was about the Eucharist, and apparently, John Paul II did because he said it was a source and summit of our faith. And I was so <laughs> happy he said that because I was literally like in adoration every day. I wasn't, you know, and, and before I went to the seminary, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you witnessed a lot of my passion for that. And I think when I started reading the saints, I started to realize that P, like God works in people's lives and, and inspires with His grace and His mercy, the witness of our faith to generations, to generations through, in and through these people who just simply have this grace-filled conversion and say yes to the will of God. What, what this also does is it helps to identify your relationship with God, how he pursued you, where, you know, where you kind of sit in all of this with how he created you, how he loves you, who you are as a person and the path that he's put you on. So there's a lot of different nuances, I think, of the ways that you can read these books that can give you insight
3: on many, many things. That was great.
2: Yeah, that was really... I I
3: I see what you're describing as what von Balthasar calls the theodrama, you know, this great play that God is is writing and directing and producing throughout all of history. And if we're players in the theodrama, we're trying to find our role that God has specifically for us, it's not enough just to learn our part and just to have one-on-one conversations with the director about our own part. To find our place, we have to understand the roles of of all the other players on the stage. And that's what reading biographies of the Saints does, is it fills in this greater picture of the theodrama, it colors it in with more detail. And in doing so, you have a, a firmer and more clear sense of your own role, what you're supposed to do and say and act and how you're supposed to engage others. So I, I think it's it it gets away from the typically Protestant mindset of just me and God, me and the Bible, and you're expanding your horizon to this entire chorus of voices, this entire uh cast of players on the stage of the theodrama, yeah yeah and
0: and how many people have anxiety for where they're at in their lives and what God's calling them to do i It's one of the things that I think I hear the most, you know what does God want me you know. You know, and sometimes I'm like, he doesn't want you to do
1: anything. Like, just be with him. You know, sometimes like, God wants <laughs> you to be the tree in the in the play of life. Yeah, yeah just stand there. <laughs> you're, you're you're the third tree. Just stand there. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if if yeah. you're not doing tree a good job, you need three. to be somewhere yeah, else. Exactly. Tree number three. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. Um, what about John Paul the Second? I, you know, he had such a, a, a a unique mind to me. It's a very balance between intellectualism and spiritualism and mysticism, and, mm. and I really see that confluence in him more than anyone that I'm familiar with. Mm. I'm sure there's other people like that. I mean, even Aquinas, but he's not so near to me. Mm. What were some of the things that John Paul II read? Because I know he was a voracious and oh, avid reader, mm. and an, and an incredible philosopher.
2: I mean, you know? Yeah. He he,
3: he's... Carol Wojtyla, John Paul II, was one of the most cultured men of the 20th century, no no doubt about it. He was familiar not just with all the key thinkers in theology and philosophy and the spiritual life, but also literature, plays, music. Um, He was incredibly conversant in all these disciplines. However, however, when I'm reading John Paul's writings, um, especially... Uh, near the near the later part of his life, he released a, a, some interview books and some uh, reflections books where he's looking back on his boyhood, and there he keeps mentioning one book in particular, namely "True Devotion to Mary" by Saint Louis de Montfort. Um, we all know the Marian dimension of John Paul II. Uh, he loved Our Lady. He wrote encyclicals on Our Lady, promoted her, uh, maybe more than any other pope in history. But it was this book in particular that he kept returning to. Um, When he was in seminary, his spiritual director suggested that he read this. He never heard of it before. Um, But he picked it up and he says, I'm quoting him, it was a decisive turning point in my life when I read that book. He said, I read it and reread it multiple times over the ensuing years with great spiritual profit. Even during the Second World War, John Paul was the young man, Carol Wojtyla, and he was sent to work in the salt mines. So he became, you know, sort of this blue-collar worker. All these, you know, tough guys working with no shirts on and pickaxes. They, uh, some of the fellow workers re- would, would remember that during their break times, they'd get these short breaks—15 minutes, 20 minutes. They would all go and sit and, and drink or, you know, shoot the breeze. But John Paul would immediately pull out this little book and start reading it. And the book was true devotion to Mary. Um, he says, I'm quoting him here again. I remember carrying it with me for a long time, even at the sodium factory, with the result that its handsome binding became spotted with lime. I continually went back to certain passages. And then uh, when he was elected Pope, he took as his papal motto, totus tuis, all yours. And it's it's an allusion to St. Louis de Montfort's doctrine of total consecration to Christ through Mary. Uh, and then finally, he he even quoted from this book, True Devotion to Mary, in uh, his Apostolic Letter on the Rosary, and then his encyclical Redemptoris Mater. He also quoted it from it again, which I find beautiful. Any time a Pope quotes in a in an encyclical from you know a, a spiritual book or a biography of a saint, because what that does in our Catholic ecclesiology is it. Uh, for lack of a better word, magisterializes you know this book. Now it's part of Catholic tradition. This this quote now because it's an encyclical is a part of official church teaching. So John Paul elevated uh, true devotion to Mary in a way, kind of bringing it into the fullness of Catholic tradition. So that's probably I think if you asked him his favorite book, I, I would. It's a sure bet that it's the one he read most often, True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. You know, three authors stand out to me
1: who have just written so much. And you're talking about St. Louis de Montfort, St. Alphonsus Liguori, and St. Francis de Sales. Between those three, they probably have a book on just about any topic you could think about and probably two or three books on the same topic. I mean, they wrote so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alphonsus Ligoria, I mean, he must have... He was like a factory. He was like the... You know, Tom Clancy of spiritual yeah. writing, you know, I mean, it's just like a new book all the time and St. Francis de Sales um, and St. Louis de Montfort. Those are all three authors that I, I can't write. I've never read and, anything that I didn't
0: love by any one of and them. And some of their writing was, it's very profound. The approach that they took, like introduction to the devout life. I don't even know if that was even meant to be a book, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but it was somehow materialized into one. You would probably know a little bit more about that, Brandon, but I, Like I read that book and it's powerful. Like the idea of a general confession, Mm -hmm. even, you know, as a, being a Catholic for, you know, a practicing Catholic for over 20 years, you know, the, the idea that just was earth shattering to me. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Another, another, um, influence in John Paul II's life was St. John of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And, Mm. you know, especially experiencing firsthand the darkness of, of communism, Nazism, his mother dying, his mother dying, mm. his father dying, his, you know, all of this exposure to darkness and death, um, you know, literally it, it, an orphaned, essentially. Uh, mm. And, you know, St. John of the Cross really spoke to him very deeply. And that, that consistently followed him as well throughout his life to the point where even with the Parkinson's and, you know, his body really uh, crippling, um, you know, you could just see that charism very present in his life throughout his papacy and through his witness and testimony, uh, certainly has been very impactful for me as well as John of the
1: Cross and, and JP two's material on that. You know, Brandon, I think here's an interesting question. You work with Bishop Barron, you're his contract content director for word on fire. You, you really helped so much with the great spiritual works that they're putting out over at word on fire. What are some of the books that uh, really influenced Bishop Barron? That's you know an that? excellent question. Yeah, that'll be that. interesting.
3: Yeah, well, it's funny you asked that because we got asked that question so many times that we put together our own PDF of of books that have influenced Bishop Barron. So um, I don't have the URL offhand. We'll have to link to it in the show notes. Yeah, but, send it to me. And I'll put it um, up there. I could say from from memory, um, he. The, I think the top three books he would say that most influenced him are. Thomas Aquinas' Summa. So he was like a a 14-year-old kid who was started getting interested in the things of God, and a Dominican teacher at his high school unveiled for him the five proofs for the existence of God from Thomas Aquinas. And so little Robert Barron runs off to the library and checks out the big two-volume Summa Theologia set and goes home and starts reading it, And just like it did for Augustine and for Anthony and for Teresa Benedict of the Cross, it was this moment of change where his life went in a new direction. He was previously obsessed with baseball and, you know, things that other little boys love, but then suddenly became drawn to theology and philosophy. And so that led him to the seminary and to the priesthood and now to the episcopacy. So that book, I think, made a huge difference, the Summa. And then also Thomas Merton's seven-story mountain. So that's the spiritual conversion memoir of of Merton, you know, this really bright young guy, kind of a a 20th century Thomas Augustine, or Thomas Augustine, 20th century Augustine. He was, you know, a, a playboy, a man of the world, you know, very charismatic, lots of people around him, loved life, living it to the full, but eventually found it empty. It was hollow. And uh, he found his way into the, the Catholic philosophical tradition and then the mystical tradition and eventually all the way to, to becoming a monk in the Abbey of Gethsemane, a Trappist monk, you know, the most hardcore radical, to use our earlier word, radical type of monastic life you can find. Um, so that book also shaped Bishop Barron. So he likes to say is the two Thomases, Thomas Aquinas and Thomas Merton. And then finally, he'll say uh, his favorite novel is Moby Dick. Um, so, uh, not my favorite. It's very long, and anybody who's read it knows that you know it's filled with all these interminable descriptions of of whaling practices and intricacies. So it can it can kind of drag, but it is this this beautiful metaphor, especially when read spiritually, of wrestling with the whale. It's man, well, Brandon, man for, versus. For, for you to
1: criticize Moby Dick for being extraordinarily long and overly descriptive, but then also being such a um, you know, a Lord of the Rings old, guy, <laughs> I, I find that curious. Uh-huh. You know, because yeah, last no, time you were on, I, I made a promise to you that I would read it. I have. You have to be darn near a surveyor <laughs> to understand. I mean, it's like reading a surveyor's report of the landscape, and it is incredibly long. Now, fair. it's. I'm glad I did it. It's incredible. And once you start getting in the flow, but I think that's, you know... <laughs>
2: I remember Look, you calling eating, me in and complaining about
1: it. I'm like, like I don't know what a veil and a dale and a, you know a couple and all this stuff is, but you know, I mean, if it was maybe whaling metaphors, maybe you know, it's like talking about the intricacies of scrimshaw. Maybe I'd be into it. You know,
3: um, there was a, a whole th- there was a whole book that just came out. I think it was last year. It was a whole book just on the flora and fauna of Middle Earth. (gasps) So just on the plants of Middle Earth. So that tells you the level of intricate detail Tolkien went into (laughs) that you could write a whole secondary work just analyzing the plant life of of Middle Earth. That's amazing.
1: That's amazing. (laughs) It's it's crazy. (laughs) Um, So I do want to mention again, so now Brandon is – Really, I think when we want to go to someone who's well-read and talk about books, we go to Brandon. Mm-hmm. And also when we want to talk about apologetics. So I am, I subscribe to his service, Claritas U. So when I want to refresh or maybe we're preparing for an episode and there's a particular ap- uh, apologetic bent and I want to refresh it, I'll go and look at his courses on Claritas U. So I definitely um, – I'm on the downside of the snowball of Brandon Vada. that, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> But then he's also an author. Brandon, are You, how many books are you up to at this point that you've published? Ten books. Ten, ten books. Ten books. It's outstanding. I mean, have you read ten books? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <In> the <laughs> last-
2: <laughs> I watch movies.
1: <laughs> you, Brandon has written more books than a lot of modern people hmm. have read. And that's, you know, sad but also astounding. But there's um, – Brandon has a special offer for our listeners – um, so number one, we we have this ebook, What the Saints Read. So that's going to be included. But Brandon, what are the other two books? And then also your offer for Claritas You, which I really love and draw on.
3: Yeah. So um we're giving away two of my books, actually, my two best-selling books. The first one is called Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. So this book makes the case for the Catholic faith. It's specifically aimed at atheists, agnostics, fallen away Catholics. So it doesn't begin by presuming that God exists or that religion is good. It makes the case from the bottom all the way up to the top. So why I am Catholic and you should be too. And then what to say and how to say it, how to uh, discuss your Catholic faith with clarity and confidence. This book tells you how to talk about prickly issues like um, atheism and same-sex marriage and abortion and transgenderism as a Catholic. So if you're a Catholic and you get nervous anytime those topics come up, this book will tell you exactly what to say and how to say it. Um, We're also including, with these two books, uh, One Month of Access to Claritas U, which you just mentioned, Ryan. So this is my online training platform for Catholics. We've been operating it for several years now. Over 5,000 Catholics have gone through these courses. The purpose is to help Catholics to get more clear and confident about discussing hot-button issues. So that includes things like same-sex marriage, transgenderism, abortion, also uh, homosexuality, anti-Catholicism, atheism, faith and science. The things that, again, most Catholics feel extremely anxious about bringing up with friends or family or coworkers. But through these courses, I teach you how to handle these topics with grace, with charm, with clarity, and how to Help other people change their minds about them. So you get both of these books, uh, plus a whole month of access to Claritas U, all for 10 bucks, $10 and free shipping on the book. So you pay 10 bucks, you will get two books in the mail, and you get access to Claritas U. So it's a really great deal.
1: Yeah, and that ebook. So if you want to take advantage of that, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash books, B-O-O-K-S. You can get that offer. Look, two books, a month of that service, and this ebook for ten bucks. Is an astounding deal and free shipping. Mm-hmm. Now, and I, I could just imagine the years like twenty one, thirty six. There's some kid who you know broke his leg doing a TikTok challenge. <laughs> you know, he's in some future <laughs> hospital, and you know they're like, what, "What do you got to do?" They're like, "I'm sorry, the internet's down. The internet's down. There's what? no Netflix. There's no yeah. Netflix." Okay, well. Here's this book, you know, Why I'm Catholic and You Should Be Too. And then in the future, someone's going to be like, you know, I broke my leg doing the TikTok viral challenge and I read this book and it changed the trajectory of my life.
2: (laughs) And it was Ryan Delacrosse. It was Ryan Delacrosse. As a 60-year-old. as a 60-year-old. He broke his hip
1: doing a TikTok challenge.
2: Brandon, I, I can't say I can't say thank you enough, man, because you know you've sent me a number of your books personally. And one that I, I used as we began our religious education year was Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. And I referenced that for a lot of my parishioners and especially, you know, it's it's heavy on the heart of a lot of people. So the books that you've that you've contributed already and and the books that you will continue to contribute to our Catholic faith. You know, on behalf of the talk show, we love we love working with you, brother, and and we're just so proud of the deposit that you're that you're making in the church, and and uh, grateful grateful to Word on Fire, the Bibles that, that yeah. Bishop Barron and you sent to us. And
1: true story, I have what to say and how to say it on my nightstand. Do you really? Right. I have my one nightstand, and then I have my wow. other nightstand just there, and it's on there. I have about. Fifteen books up there. That's that I excellent. cycle through, and that one is actually up there. That is actually.
3: So uh. when we when we update this PDF with Saint Ryan Shield, it'll say I read this book. It was on my nightstand. It was yeah, my favorite book. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's
1: <laughs> Delacross breaking his hip in a TikTok and becoming a saint's more likely than me. Yeah. I tell you that he's got the heart for it. <laughs> Um, So, but again, I want to reiterate, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash books. You can get a month of Claritas U, which is a great apologetics platform. Each course has multiple videos, PDFs, interviews with great people like Dr. Peter Kreeft and, you know, a lot of, you know, really weighty intellectualists. Then you're going to get how to, what to say and how to say it and why I'm Catholic and you should be too. And the Saints favorite book PDF for $10 free shipping. Make sure you get that because that's a great deal. And and on this
2: uh, in this effort, I know you have uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati, Francis de Sales, um, and Teresa Blaiseu. You know, and and shout out Danley, Father Dan Leary, with uh, World Villages for Children. He actually put this in my hands uh, a few weeks back. The end of the present world and the mysteries of the future life. And Saint Therese apparently, you know, had such an incredible uh, personal experience reading this book. She she quoted, "Reading this book was one of the greatest graces of my life." Wow! And I, I still, I'm, I'm, I've got it on my nightstand as a as a to do item. Um, but yeah, I just figured I'd grab that book because I had it in my chapel. And uh, bring it out real quick.
3: Awesome. Yeah. It's always like when you're when you're asking, when you're trying to figure out what's the next book I'm going to read, most of us, you know, will ask friends, hey, well, what have you read lately? What book changed your life? But as Catholics, if we're trying to imitate the saints, why not ask them, you know, ask the saints, what books did you read? And that's what this PDF provides. That's awesome. That's excellent.
1: So Brandon, again, you know, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being our most featured guest. Giving uh, you know, <laughs> knocking off some of the rough edges on us. You know, our, our viewers always ask for you to come back. They, I think the last time you are on, when we talked about, uh, books, uh, we, you made an offer similar and I think like six, 700 people did it. So we're making that same offer available again. Um, uh, make sure you go and check it out because it really is a tremendous value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't recommend Brandon's work enough. I trust what he says, you know, with apologetics and books. And I really think, you know, you'll get the same effect.
2: Now, Brandon, you know, he made a promise to you to read Tolkien. He did good. He he really, he he did good on that promise. And now we want a promise from you the next time you're on the show, because you are the most frequent guest, it's got to be right here in the studio. We got to bring you up.
3: I will be there. Yeah. You know, I live in Orlando, so not too far from where you guys are. And in fact, if I must say, if I had to live anywhere else in America, it'd be St. Augustine. I love St. Augustine. It's a beautiful city. Yes. And then we could finally
1: have the three-point shooting contest. (laughs) (laughs) Another, you know, Brandon is incredibly well-read, but he's like a, a, you know, he's a sharpshooter, too. And I think he's going to beat all of us in a three-point contest. So
2: (laughs) I'm I'm going to start practicing. that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, Well, my friends, it is such a joy to journey with you at the Catholic Talk Show each and every week having guests just like Brandon vote, And, and uh, truly, Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show today. And uh, to everybody out there, make sure you're punching that subscribe button, sharing our content. That's what
1: the Saints would do. Yeah, they'd Look punch what the Saints a subscribe the Saints, the Saints would click the subscribe Absolutely. button. Absolutely. So do if it. you do what the Saints do, read what they do, the Saints click, like, subscribe, share. And do it now. Do God it now. bless you.
2: We'll see you next week.